But this show will continue to help you understand the things that affect your health while looking for unexpected discoveries along the way. It will also explore thought-provoking ideas and questions like this one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With rapid and powerful advances in genetic analysis over the past couple of decades, researchers have been able to pinpoint specific variants in genes that are associated with particular forms of diseases. There are now more than 20 genes that are associated with Parkinson's disease, and different variants of these genes may be relevant to different forms of the disease, its progression, and potentially its treatment. The Parkinson's Foundation study, PD Generation, Mapping the Future of Parkinson's Disease, aims to explain how these genes influence the susceptibility to PD and the course of the disease. This is the fifth episode in our PD Gene podcast series, in which we'll be providing you with quarterly initiative updates. This episode marks the halfway point for the PD Gene study. We're excited to share that enrollment has reached nearly 300 participants within five months of the study's launch. The average age of participants is 64 years old. The youngest participant is 30 years old, and the oldest is 88. While the pilot study was launched at six sites across the U.S., there has been an overwhelmingly positive response from the PD community, with PD gene participants represented across 21 states. Over 38 participants, about 13% of the cohort, have been identified with a genetic form of Parkinson's disease. In contrast, most published studies report the prevalence of genetic carriers to range from 5 to 10% of the total population of people with Parkinson's. PD Gene's early success represents the collective efforts of the Parkinson's community. When I spoke with Dr. Tanya Samuni and Dr. Michael Schwartzchild, they explained how genetic studies can define discrete subsets of people with PD, leading to clinical trials more targeted to different causes or forms of the disease. 
Today's podcast is sponsored by Kiowa Kieran. I guess the main question is, why are genetics in the spotlight now as it pertains to Parkinson's disease? That is a very good question. As you well know, the big and ambitious goal is to find, if not cure for Parkinson's disease, ways to effectively slow progression of the disease. And despite multiple trials over at least 30 years, we have not been successful so far. And while there are a number of reasons for failure to achieve that goal, one of them is looking at Parkinson's as one single disease. And we clearly recognize that under the umbrella of Parkinson's disease, there are different forms. And one of them, and of great interest, are the subsets of patients who carry genetic mutations. While a number of people with a single mutation responsible for the disease is very small, it is approximately 5 to 10 percent. But the mechanism of the disease relevant to those people can also very well be relevant to the Parkinson's community at large. And that's the reason combination of exponential increase in the knowledge of genetics combined with the development of new therapeutics targeting specific genetic mutations has put genetics in the spotlight of research in Parkinson's. Now that we are targeting the genes that contribute at least to a subset of Parkinson's patients' disease, we now know that we're really on terra firma in terms of the relevance of the targets. We know that if we are successful in targeting those genetic contributions, we are targeting what's causing the pathology of the disease. And that's really a quantum advance compared to the previous targets that we've had. So for multiple reasons, but particularly because of the causality of genetic forms of Parkinson's, there's a step forward in terms of the rationale behind our enthusiasm. Which genes are of particular interest? So the two that have risen to the top of at least 20 different genes that have been implicated in Parkinson's disease are one that's called LARC2, and another one that's abbreviated GBA. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real-life on-the-go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. The Parkinson's Foundation has a big initiative now called PD Generation, and it'll be looking at some genes, among which are LERC2 and GBA. What is the benefit to a patient 
personally in participating in any of these? Very good question. I believe that I can speak for the whole of the community of people living with Parkinson's that they're looking for better therapies and ultimately the cures. And genetically targeted therapeutics provide the new era in the therapeutic development in Parkinson's. So I think that unequivocally the benefit and responsibility is to participate in the studies because we can design the best study, but if the study does not recruit participants, we will never have the answers. And if I could add to Dr. Sumini's point, maybe even more broadly, participating in clinical trials is very, I believe, empowering for people with Parkinson's disease, whether in participating ones randomized to the placebo group or the active intervention. It's only through these clinical trials that we're going to get to the answers that everybody wants. And being able to participate and fight the disease that way, I think, is one of the most common gratifications for people who participate. I would add also at the level of these LERC2 and GBA-targeted genetic forms of Parkinson's trials, that there's sort of another layer of value and benefit that can be provided. With a general trial, there's a chance, of course, that the therapeutic will work and that you'll be in the active group and you'll benefit directly. But the knowledge, as I just mentioned, is, will invariably be helpful to the whole Parkinson's community and generations to come. So it serves all people with Parkinson's. And in the case of genetic forms of Parkinson's, in between oneself and all people with Parkinson's are one's family and one's offspring and future generations who will carry at least some small risk because of the volunteers for these studies being able to qualify because they have an altered form of a gene that will be inherited by me in members of their family. And so I think there's one other additional motivation that regardless of the result of the study, their families stand to benefit substantially as well. Unlike a drug trial where you're randomized and you might or might not get the drug, but you might or might not get the side effects and negative outcomes, it seems like it's mainly benefit you're contributing to the knowledge. And since there's no intervention, they're not giving you anything, there's no potential harm, I would think. Maybe there's some anxiety, but it seems like balance falls on the upside. So, Dan, you're now speaking about observational studies that would recruit participants to identify whether they're carriers of a particular genetic mutation and to see whether their clinical course of the disease and underlying biological samples, whatever are collected in the study, are different from the people who do not carry the genetic mutation. So, there you're absolutely right. The harm is minimum. The knowledge gained for the scientific community is tremendous, and as Dr. Schwarzschild indicated, knowledge gained not only for the scientific community, but for the participant empowering themselves that they're contributing to that knowledge. And just to clarify, Dan, too, in terms of LERC2 and GBA clinical studies versus trials, because the semantics can be particularly tricky. We've highlighted the few early-stage trials, which are intervention studies, and do, of course, carry risks and benefits depending on what one's randomized to. There's a whole raft of preceding and ongoing observational studies like the Fox Foundation's PPMI study and other cohorts, which are enriched for genetic forms of the disease, that have actually helped lay the groundwork for these trials. And yes, in those studies, there's a lot to be offered with a lower risk and lower benefit for the individual. 
Yeah, I was particularly thinking of the PDG generation initiative that the Parkinson's Foundation is starting, which is purely observational. Right, and so in our vernacular, we consider the PD generation an observational study as opposed to a trial, but it's tricky. PD generation is going to be gathering data over several years. I wonder when it's going to really have enough volume or mass to be really informative. The whole purpose of PD generation until there are therapeutics for this, is to feed these exact trials that we're talking about. So it's definitely interrelated. You agree, Dr. Simone, that observational studies like PD generation can feed into intervention trials? Absolutely. Observational studies serve a number of purposes. Depending on the objective of the study, collecting information of the clinical profile of the participants, of underlying biological characteristics of the participants, and undoubtedly no less important and probably mostly important, identifying the participants for the future ongoing studies. And it is specifically relevant when we're targeting genetically positive individuals. We already talked about the fact that out of the whole Parkinson's community, it's less than 10% that would carry those genes. So we need that identified population who know their genetic status to be informed of the studies that test therapeutics for that particular gene. If it's, say, 10% of the population with Parkinson's who carried those genes, are there other things we should also be looking at, not only genetics, but other kinds of biomarkers which would define subpopulations? This is a million-dollar question with a million-dollar answer that we've been trying to come up. Yes, absolutely, we should. And where A, we're hoping that a small subset of genetically positive population will teach us more about what we call sporadic population. But yes, identifying the underlying biology that defines the course of the disease in that not genetic population, looking at the other variables, absolutely will inform the design of the future studies. Anything important to add that we've missed? I think that both of us would like to close that scientific community is working very hard to bring next generation studies more informative with a smarter design of the studies with the better molecules. But as the scientific community is advancing, it is equally the responsibility of people living with Parkinson's disease to be active contributors and participants. And obviously, participation in the studies is essential to provide us answers. Do you find people are eager to get into clinical trials? We are advancing. And I believe that in order for people to participate in the studies, a number of things have to happen. They need to be informed of the reasons for the studies. They need to be informed of their ongoing studies because movement disorders physicians take care of the minority of people living with Parkinson's disease. So it is on us the responsibility to educate the patient community, to educate the community of neurologists and other physicians taking care of these patients so that the information is out there. I believe that people want to participate, but they need to have the information where, how, and whether they qualify. And I'll just compliment Dr. Samuni's point to, to highlight the flip side of that improvement that I think we've seen as clinicians over decades of 
clinical trials for Parkinson's disease that enrollment, always a challenge, is increased as patient participants understand why the disease, how it's being targeted, and what role they have to play. At the same time, I think the research community has also improved in understanding the partnership between the patient community. And uh, Parkinson's Foundations actually highlighted this nicely with their patient advocacy in research program, their PEAR program, which partners increasingly with clinical trials like Dr. Sumini and I oversee, in which we are informed by the patient perspective with direct representation of people with Parkinson's serving on our steering committees and the like. So it's really at every level that we're improving this enterprise that's a partnership with uh, the patient community through podcasts like this, understanding what the challenge is and how they can contribute, and all of us coming together with improving ideas like the genetic trials and Parkinson's represent that make it so hopeful. Very good. Thank you both. Thank you all for listening, and until next time. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.